Amen. We truly are in the presence of the Lord. I thought I would start our Bible study just a little different today by having some worship, reminding us that we truly are in the presence of the Lord. With that understanding, let us bow our heads and let us pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for your prevailing presence that provides us the peace that we need and presides over us in all situations that we may face. Now, God, I'm asking that your presence would be here in the form of teaching power. God, I pray that your presence would be there in the listeners as hearing power. So both the teaching and the hearing of the word will collide together and revelation will flow freely, unhindered and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic forces. And we give you praise for it. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So grateful to have you here with us. Always a blessing to see my Bible study crew here and so grateful. And uh, I do want to say again, like the song said, receive it now. Let's receive the presence of the Lord. So piggybacking off of Sunday, we are going to look at uh, Sunday's message. And Sunday's message was called Don't Lose Your Fight. Don't Lose Your Fight. So that was the focus of Sunday. And we had mentioned last week that uh, Lady Devon had talked about the idea of uh, not losing focus. So we talked a lot about focus, staying focused and being encouraged. But in the process, we don't want you to lose your fight. And when we say that, we mean don't want you to lose your will to fight. We want you to have the tenacity, the gumption to get in there and still fight do battle if need be. So let's look at uh, defining that. I'll give you a time to kind of look over it before I share it. All right, let's look at it together. Take part in a violent struggle, move forward with difficulty, especially by overcoming obstacles. Three, put up a spirited show of resistance. Two, or defend oneself against attack. I will read those again. Take part in a violent struggle. Move forward with dignity, especially by overcoming obstacles. Put up a spirited show of resistance to or defend oneself against an attack. These are all definitions of fight. There's several definitions, but I chose these because it has the, uh, I guess the way to say it, it has the connotation of you being on the defense, not you offensively attacking someone, but the struggle is coming to you and you are stepping up to the challenge. That's the focus that we are on today is the idea of the enemy bringing things our way. However, we are pressing our way in. We're not afraid. We're not scared. If you're bringing the fight to us, we will defend ourselves and we will bring the fight back to you. We will counterattack. We don't always spend a lot of time attacking the devil because he's beneath us because of our father and because of the son and because of the Holy Spirit, he's beneath us. But he will often bring things to us and we don't want to lose our fight or our will to fight. 
Let's look at some synonyms for fight. To battle, wage war, struggle, wrestle, strive, contend, clash, confront, challenge, mount and attack, take a stand against. I like that one, take a stand against. I, I, I think that's kind of the focus that I was thinking of it as I was preaching because I was thinking of the fact that we had dealt with a, uh, a rash of COVID cases after a time where we haven't really had that coming through as much as we've come through. But this new variant, we had dealt with a rash of COVID cases and we're shutting the sanctuary down and still trying to do ministry and still trying to pray for apostle, my father, my mother, and other people close to me, many of other members. And uh, it would be easy to sulk. But because of the previous message where Lady Devon told, told us to not lose focus, then I realized that this is a fight. And the fight is to get me off of focus. And so I don't want to lose my will to fight. I want to take a stand against. I want to bring that up. I, I want to engage in this conflict. I want to take a stand against, whether that means I have battle, wage war, struggle, wrestle, strive, contend, clash, confront, challenge, mountain attack, engage in conflict, or to take a stand against. All right, so this is a point that we started off with, and the fight is not meant to be easy. So nobody said it was going to be easy. And if someone told you this Christian life is easy, they lied to you. But here's something I want you to think about. Life in general is not easy. Christian or unchristian, believer, non-believer, life is hard. So I'd rather go through hard life as a believer than hard life as a non-believer. Because as a believer, I have something and someone to turn to. And this particular someone is the creator of the universe. And he holds things in the palm of his hand. <coughs> Excuse me. So life can't overcome me because I have the greater one in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And the scripture says we are more than conquerors or we are overcomers. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So with being a believer, we know we win in the end and all we have to do is maintain. But that doesn't mean maintaining is easy. All right, let's go to scripture for this. Matthew eleven eleven. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of woman, there hath not risen or greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he Verse 12, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. So the violent use uh, violence to counteract violence. They meet violence with violence. Of course, we're not talking about in the realm of natural uh, or the idea of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth naturally. But what we're saying is in the spirit world, 
many times the demons and demonic forces and the devil and the schemes of the enemy, the tricks and the traps and whatever you want to call it, obstacles, hell, fire, whatever that we face, it often is not playing fair with us. It's coming at us with what I would call reckless abandon. It's it's pressing its way in on us. It's causing pressures, causing stress. It could cause worry. Sometimes it's sickness. There's, there's money issues. There's uh, issues dealing with our faith. Our faith is being challenged. All kinds of things are happening. But why be weak-minded with it? Why not meet that same force with an equal or greater force of violence? In other words, if you're going to bring demonic pressure and demonic attack, I'm going to bring spiritual pressure and spiritual attack. And the funny thing is the major way we do that is by standing firm. Because many times what the pressure is designed to do is to knock us off a square or cause us to lose our focus. But when we stand firm, what we are doing is we're bringing that pressure right back to him. So let's look exactly how the scripture says it. The kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent take it by force. In other words, okay, there is an assault under the kingdom of heaven, but the violent take it by force. In other words, whoever's going to be the most violent is going to take the kingdom by force. It's not going to uh, come by happenstance. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. No, we have to snatch the kingdom of heaven. In other words, for us to walk into the purpose of God, we're going to have to wrestle, battle, wage war, conflict, engage, stand against because we're trying to take it by force. Kind of like uh, kids when they play tug of war. There's one rope, one line. Whoever crosses that line loses. So you have to dig your heels in and you have to pull. But you have to meet whatever force that the other team is bringing. You have to have that much or greater. At the least, you want to have a standstill. At the least. But because of who we serve, we want to go beyond that. And we want to drag the devil across the line, whooping his head instead of the opposite array around him always whooping our head. Now, he may get some shots in here and there. He may get some blows in. But we should be winning if we take the mindset, hey, I'm willing to fight for it. Anything that's great in life is worth fighting for. So that's what we have to get in our mind. This is worth fighting for. We're not laying down for this one. No, this is worth fighting for. My family is worth fighting for. My faith is worth fighting for. My finances is worth fighting for. My marriage is worth fighting for. My ministry is worth fighting for. My money is worth fighting for. My salvation is worth fighting for. My peace of mind is worth fighting for. My, uh, my business is worth fighting for. My health is worth fighting for. My relationships is worth fighting for. So you get, you get the, the picture, it's worth fighting for. If it wasn't worth anything, the devil wouldn't be in attacking it. He wouldn't be spending any time attacking it if it wasn't worth anything. So oftentimes he shows you what something is worth by the way he attacks it, and so we stand up against it. So let's uh, look this up here. Uh, point one, fighters meet demonic violence with spiritual violence, spiritual resistance, spiritual force. 
Same things I'm just explaining. I'll just say it again because it is well written. Fighters meet demonic violence with spiritual violence, spiritual resistance, and spiritual force. All right, that leads us to B. So which B meaning the second point. We had point A, now point B. The fight is filled with pressure-packed decisions. In this season of standing up against, there's going to be decisions that you have to make. The first decision is you have to decide to fight. But in the decision to fight, there's also the decision to stop fighting. I'm tired. Give up. Wave the white flag. Surrender. If you choose not to do any of those things, that means you're fighting back. But in the fighting back, there's decisions to be made. How do I fight back? Do I fight back by resting? Do I fight back by quoting scripture? Do I fight back by going to church? Many times it's all of those things, but what do I need in the moment? So there's decisions that need to be made. And these are spiritual decisions, but then there's natural decisions. Because while you're dealing with your own personal spiritual life, the life around you is still going. So you got people around you. You may may have loved ones that are dealing with things. Should I help? What should I do? What should I say? How should I say it? Or the political arena. Should I vote? How should I vote? Who should I vote for? Or the job or the career. What job should I be doing? Is this the right job? Should I be changing jobs? So there's decisions. Who should I date? Am I in the right marriage? Should I try to get out of this marriage? Should I divorce? Should I refinance my house? Should I buy another car? Should I, should I, should I? All these decisions in the midst of all the things you have to fight. So what does the scripture tell us about that? It's going to bring us back to a point that I I made previously, but let's see and look at it. Um, Joel 3.14 says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. This should give us some solace or some peace because what the scripture is saying, there are multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Like I said before, life happens to us all, whether you're a non-believer or believer. So everybody is in a situation where they are making decisions. The difference is for us, we have guidance. We have an inner guidance from the Holy Spirit. Then we have the word of God. Then God has set up the church where he has leaders in the church that teach us. And so that helps us make decisions. We're not like the world where we're lost and we're just drawing straws to make decisions. We have some decisions. And many times decisions that we make are what I would call time sensitive. These are time sensitive decisions. And the point that is made here that I'll I'll bring it up a little larger, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And then it says this, for the day of the Lord is near. So what we understand is that this is not the only day. There is a day to come and the day to come will bring reward for some punishment for others. We call that heaven, or we call that crossing over to uh, the other side, or the return of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is near, so that helps us with our decisions. I'm going to decide not to be bitter 
with my family member and I'm going to decide to forgive because the day of the Lord is near. And I don't want to be caught with bitterness in my heart on the day of the Lord. I don't want to miss out on my blessing, miss out on my reward. Nothing is worth me missing out on heaven. So that helps me make my decisions. My decisions are anchored by the fact that there is another day to come. There are rewards. There is an afterlife. So I make decisions in this life thinking about the afterlife. Other people who don't have relationship with God, they make decisions only for today. They don't understand the wisdom of making decisions for the future. But we have the guidance knowing that the clock is ticking and it behooves us to get closer to God as the day approaches, as the day of the Lord approaches, as the return of the Lord approaches, it behooves us to be closer to him. So when things are getting worse in the world, it clues us in in our mind that, oh, this is not the time to back up. This is the time to draw closer to God because the day of the Lord is approaching. Now, having said that, uh, let me play the advocate. I won't say devil's advocate because we're not devils, but let me play the advocate. Here's what the advocate says, and it's this. All my life, they've been talking about the return of the Lord. All my life, they've been talking about things are getting worse and nothing has happened. God ain't come back now, so I'm going to make decisions for today. I understand that. As a young person, I said the same thing. Look, you always talk about what would you do if you die today and you're not saved, but shoot, I keep living. But that was an immature thought process. What I begin to understand is no matter how soon or how long it takes for God to do what he wants to do in the wrapping up of the age or the ending of this world and the beginning of what we know as the afterlife, the major point, and this is why it's the first part of our vision statement, is connecting with our creator continually. Here's the key. As long as I'm drawing close to God, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't make a difference if he comes soon or he comes late. You know, some people will say, if the Lord tarries his coming, in other words, if he's slower than what we think, if it's not in the next 10, 15, 20 years, what if it's thousands of years away? I don't feel like I've lost anything, number one, because in the process, I'm going to draw closer to God. But number two, no matter what happens in the ending of the age, death is imminent for us all. So even if the day of the Lord doesn't come while I am alive, there is a personal day for me, the day when my life will end. And when my life will end, I don't have to wait to the wrapping up of, of the age or the wrapping up of the world. I'm going to have a judgment right then. I'm going to have a judgment of what my afterlife will look like. So for me, every day is important to get close to God. Every day is important, not just for the coming of the Lord, but I'm drawing closer to death every single day. And so are you. They the scripture lets us know that our lives are nothing but a vapor, that we're here today, gone tomorrow. And of course, life seems like long, but the older you get, the more you begin to look at time and say, man, time flew by. I look at myself uh, 
when I first hired in on my job and now 24 years later. It doesn't feel like 24 years. Take 24 and multiply that by 365 days. That's how many days I've been working. That's a lot of time, but it went like that. The first time my babies were born, people would always tell me, be careful, it goes fast. Now I have a 13-year-old. 13 years went like that. So time is always moving. And because of that, I need to know, and I need to know that I need to structure my decisions to make the most of the time because the Bible says this, because the days are evil. Not just the day of the Lord approaching, but every day is filled with evil. And because it's filled with evil, I can decide to do evil. But if I decide to do evil, I could miss out on a moment. Remember, we're talking about maximizing our moments. I can miss out, out on a moment. So instead of doing that, I'm going to get closer to God. Now, when I get closer to God, what's going to happen? The devil's going to attack me. But that's okay because I'm willing to stand up for me getting closer to God. Why? Because time is running out for you and for me, ultimately for the world, but just in life, we never know when we're going to take our, our last breath. You all know people who you thought would live forever, live a long time, and the next thing you know, you found out they're gone. Happened like that. So the focus for us is make the most of every single day. Every single day is important. So let me go back to that. Multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision. But let me uh, structure it this way. However, those of us who understand how near the day of the Lord is, the valley of decision is different for us. And here's how it's different. Next verse. The sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Now, this is talking about ultimately in the ultimate day of the Lord. But we don't have to wait till we see that naturally. Spiritually, we can see things. We can see people getting darker. Even though things have always happened, you take the people in the, under the Depression and the people who lived through World War I and II, they may have thought that the world was ending. But yet, if those people who went through those times are still living now, most of them will tell you, I've never seen it as dark as it is right now. Even though all we went through, even though going through what we went through, going through Jim Crow, I've never seen it as dark. People have blank stares on their face. There's a darkness that is consuming the world. So we understand that. And so we are structuring our decisions uh, based on what we understand. Let's look further. Verse 16, the Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So here comes our refrain. Our wisdom is at the end of the day, the Lord becomes our hope. The Lord becomes our shield. The Lord becomes our escape. So we're connecting with him now. We're fighting tooth and nail if we have to, to stay connected to him because he is our hope. He is our strength. He is our way out. And if things get worse than what they already are, we really are going to need to lean and turn to him. 
And it's much better to already have a relationship with him than to try to rush and get in relationship with him when times of crisis hit. The scripture says it this way. Two men built a house. One built his house on the sand. The other one built his house on the rock, meaning he built his house on a foundation. Then the storm came. The winds and the waves beat upon both houses. The house built upon the sand fell and shattered. The house built upon the rock was able to stand and withstand the storm. And then the scripture goes on to paint the picture that anyone who hears the word of God and does it is like a person who's building his house on a sure foundation, a foundation that will take them beyond the stresses of life, the storms of life, the strains of life. You will not escape them. They will still come. They will still beat upon your house. You'll still get wet and hail and lightning and thunder. But at the end of the day, when the storm lifts, because storms can't last forever, when the storm lifts, you'll still be standing. However, those who do not build themselves on the sure foundation of the word of God and connecting with God in relationship with God, storms take them out. Now, being a pastor, this is something that I know and I have seen uh, succinctly and for sure. I've seen people in the world who do not have a covenant relationship with God. I've seen them fold for much less than I've seen some Christians stand through. I've seen some Christians stand through some hard, tough things, come out on the other side better and praising God. I've seen other people only get an iota of what the Christian went through and they fold and fail and are done. And the difference is one made the decision to make God their foundation. The other one was in the valley of decision and chose to build on everything else but God. All right, moving on. Let's go to C. And this is where we focus on uh, most of Sunday. It says the fight is over our faith. Actually, I, I'm going to bring this comment up that I like uh, from Sister Christian. She says, I'm holding on to Sunday's message. This attack on my faith will not stop me from drawing closer to God. I will not quit, fold, or give up. So powerful. That is exactly the point and the focus of Sunday's sermon and even the lesson today. So what another thing I've learned is certain attacks they hurt, but they tick you off. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain it in my own life. There are certain things that happen to me that I don't have an answer for, nor do I have necessarily a counterattack for. I know praise and worship. I know reading the word. But the way I look at it is one thing I know I'm called to do is I'm called to preach. So I just tell the devil, just wait till I get up Sunday. I may not have an answer for it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or even Saturday night, but I know by the time I hit that podium, I'm going to be swinging back at the devil. Yes, I'm giving words of encouragement to the people I pastor, but it's deeper than that for me. I am swinging and throwing blows right back at Satan because you're messing with me. You're messing with the people I love and I'm coming right back at you. And I do it through uh, the preaching power that God gives me. For, for, for you, whatever God is to you and is causing you to be 
and he's purposed you to be, whether it's a mother, a father, may, maybe it's something on your job. You be the best that you can be of that. And that's one of the ways that you fight back by you don't let him see you sweat, so to speak. You get up and you come right back at him because you know at the end you win. So all you have to do is outlast the devil. You really don't have to beat him. All you have to do is outlast him because, once again, time is running out, and time is running out for him. So all you have to do is outlast. So we buckle down, we hunker down, and we realize, once again, that the fight really is over our faith. So how did we even get in the place that we're in as far as receiving God we got there through faith. Scripture says we confess and believe. So we get there through belief. So the major thing he wants to attack is our belief, belief in God. It makes sense for him because we're trusting in an invisible God, a God that most of us have not heard audibly speak to us. We may have heard things in here, but at the best, we're guessing at those things. We're, we're believing that we're hearing God. So our five senses that we normally use, that's the best way for Satan to attack. Uh, our touch, our smell, our taste, our seeing, and our hearing. So he's always going to bring something that tries to attack our five senses. But we don't live by our five senses. We live by faith. The scripture says the just shall live by faith. So we have another plane that is on a higher level than our five senses. In my five senses, I'm sick. In my five senses, I'm broke. In my five senses, I'm divorced. In my five senses, I'm bipolar. But supernaturally, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm above only and not beneath. I'm a child of the king. So what we do, we stand on our faith. So basically what we're doing, the scripture says it this way, we have hope in things that are eternal because the things that are not seen are eternal, but the things that are seen are temporal. So my sickness is temporary, but my healing is eternal. So if Satan can get me to take my faith off of that which is eternal and put it on that which is temporal, then he begins to win. So I have to make up in my mind that my faith is set on things that are eternal, which are the things of God. doesn't mean it's always easy, but like I said, people who are not living by faith, they're not having it easy. People are, who are, not, who are non-believers, they're addicted on all kinds of stuff. So, shoot, I might as well do it by having faith because you're going to fight either way. I might as well fight on the winning side. So our, the fight is over our faith. Uh, another way I like to uh, call it or, or say I think would be um, cruise control. I like to say my faith is on cruise control. The way cruise control works is you set it on a speed, and that car will go on that speed until it receives overriding information, which is like your brake. If you brake, it receives a overriding information and it'll slow down but most cars nowadays have a resume button usually it says res and what that means is resume back to that previous speed that it was set upon 
So life may come at me fast and I may have to hit my brakes and I may have to slow down for a second. But as soon as I get a chance, I'm putting that resume button. I'm going back to that speed that that I was on. As soon as I get some open road, I'm getting right back. And so my faith is set on cruise control. Sometimes I have to get off of it because of the tax. But the moment I get a chance, I'm getting back on course. I'm f- flying right back after it. And now when I'm driving and I may be behind and I set a cruise to catch me up, then something slows me down. Sometimes I set the cruise faster so that I can catch back up. Sometimes when you get hit, your faith goes into overdrive and you come out better than you were when you went in. And that's what Satan forgets. Many of his attacks make us stronger instead of making us weaker when we keep ourselves set on the cruise control. All right, let's let's look at uh, some of the verses. I may not go to all the ones we had because we, we spent most of our time on this uh, point. The fight is over our faith. But let's look at this first verse we had. Jude, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, this version doesn't say it, but some versions say once for all. In other words, your salvation was delivered to you one time through Christ at the cross. And so Jude was saying, oh, by the way, maybe I need to remind you that just because you have salvation doesn't mean you don't have to contend or fight for the faith in the salvation. Here's the point. The salvation is what we call the finished works of Calvary. That means everything we need in our life is already finished and finalized. Because it is, there is only one person that can pluck you out of God's hands, and it's you. Trials can't do it. Your own sin and mistakes can't do it. Demons can't do it. Devils can't do it. Only you can take you out of God's hand because it was your salvation or your rescue was delivered once and for all. So Satan works in overdrive to get you to no longer believe because when you no longer believe, you take yourself out of God's hands. Now, in my own experience, uh, when I was in college, I got that close to not believing in God anymore at all. Thank you. God, that he rescued me again, gave me another chance, and I promise God I'll serve you to the day I I die. So all we're doing is contending for the faith, believing what we believe and fighting for it. I believe that if I stay on this course, when I die, the rewards are going to be great. Not only do I believe that, I believe that if I stay on this course, I'm going to receive some great rewards in this life. I also believe that if I stay on this course, me getting closer to God is never going to hurt me. It's always going to make me better. One uh, word that is used in the scripture is nevertheless. I believe if I stay on this course, I will never be the less. I will always be greater. I will always be growing. So it behooves me to stay on this course. And if there's any obstacle coming at me to get me off of course, 
I'm going to contend for the faith. In other words, I'm going to fight. I'm going to struggle. I'm going to wage war. I'm going to engage conflict. I'm going to stand up against. I may have to stand up crying. I may have to stand up worried. I may have to stand up frustrated. I may have to stand up stressed out. But one thing I'm not going to do is lay down. I'm standing up and I'm moving forward. Why? Because I've got my focus and my focus is on the ultimate prize. All right. So here's the point that we want to make for this. The enemy's attacks are designed to weaken our faith. That's the whole purpose is designed to weaken our faith. I'm going to skip ahead uh, to this point. The enemy wants us to lose our will to fight and lose our integrity. Here's the thing that's important is that when you're under so much pressure, sometimes there's a breaking point. And when you lose your faith in the breaking point, usually you lose your integrity, do things that you never would have done outside of that pressure. And then what the devil does, he pounces on you for making the bad decision. You're in the valley of decision. You make a bad decision because of the pressure. And then he jumps on top of you and say, you see, you didn't have anything. See, you ain't really saved. See, you're not as good as all those other Christians. You might as well walk away from God. You might as well give up. You might as well quit. It works for everybody else. It doesn't work for you. You're no good. All that is the devil. But what he's really trying to do is get you to lose your integrity. And what I mean by that, he's getting, trying to get you to backslide. The great thing about God is I've seen people who've been in backslidden conditions and God pulls them all the way back. One uh, scripture talks about and basically paraphrases and says he's, God is married to the backslider. So even when you start sliding back, his love is there for you anyhow. But the point that I understand is for me, backsliding is wasting time. There's no need for me to go back. No need for me to start cheating on my wife now. Now, after t- almost 22 years of marriage and we're doing good, there's no need to me start being stupid now. That would waste a lot of time. And there's consequences for bad decisions. So I don't even want to th- think like that. I want to keep pressing and keep moving forward. But I also know what he wants to get me to do is lose my integrity. So I understand what the pressure is about. He would want nothing more than for me to destroy my name, have a bad reputation, have to start all over, have my name all in the news, in the newspaper. Satan would love that. So I don't want to give him that. So I'm trying to buckle down and move forward. All right, let's look at this verse here. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Next verse, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Looking at those two verses, the powerful thing is what the man of faith understands as he's contending for his faith is at the end of the day, there's one person that can keep me from falling. So I'm fighting, but my trust is not in my fight. My trust is in God. I'm fighting because he's been so good to me that he's not going to let me fall. And then what I so, I so love about this verse, then Jude turns a corner. He says, 
He's able to keep me from falling. And then he says he's able to present me faultless. Well, why do I need to be presented faultless if I'm not going to fall? Basically, what he's saying is God, got a, God has us covered on either side. He can keep us from falling. But if we get so stubborn and so hard-headed that we fall anyway, he can clean us up so good that he presents us, from, presents us faultless and it looks like we never fail. So like I said, I know people who have backslidden and God rescued them and they don't even look like what they've been through. They look like they've never made a mistake. I have to be honest, in my own life, I live that. I look faultless. When I tell things and I'm transparent about things, many times people laugh at it because they're like, oh man, I can't believe you went through that. But in their mind, they're, they're like, man, Andre's perfect. No, that's God making me look good. Listen, he kept me from falling in some areas and other areas. I hit my face. I fell right on my face, but he scooped me up, picked me up, and he presented me faultless and said, listen, I'm going to use you to preach the word. I'm going to use your mess as a message. So why would I not contend for the faith for God that's been so good for me? Times he kept me from falling and times when I fell anyway, he presented me faultless. In other words, it's like the phrase that we like to use. It's a win-win. I'm fighting because I'm in a win-win. I really can't lose. And so I like how he ends uh, the verse. He ends it by saying to the only wise God, because at the end of the day, he has all wisdom. He has the wisdom to make me look better than I should. God has the wisdom to present us faultless by allowing us to fall forward. Some of the things that I failed in, I failed forward. I learned a lesson and never failed like that again. So he turned my losses into lessons. So what does that make me say? Like Jude, to the only wise God, be glory and majesty and dominion, both now and forever. I praise him now. I hope to get a chance to praise him later and praise him forever. I hope to be in heaven talking about the goodness of God, how good he's been to me, how he kept me from falling and present me faultless. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to F-I-G-H-T. I'm going to fight. I'm going to keep the faith. I'm going to I, I'm going to up my intensity. I'm going to, gee, I'm going to stay guarded. I'm going to guard myself. The Bible says, guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. I'm not going to allow junk to get in my heart. I'm going to keep my faith. I'm going to up my intensity. I'm going to guard. And guess what I'm going to do? I am going to help others. That's another way that I fight is I'm going to help others. Satan, you attack me. I'm helping three more people. Jesus told Peter the very same thing. He said, Satan desires you, Simon, Peter, that he could sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith fail you not. Remember, it's about our faith. I pray for you that your faith fail you not. And then Jesus adds this. He said, and when you are converted, strengthen your brother. Two things I love about this verse is that he, he didn't say Satan desires to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I stepped in and blocked it. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I pray for you. This is the power that we have to understand. Satan is not on Jesus or God's level. So it would be like Alana, who is in third grade, 
it would be like some little girl hitting her and I come and beat up the little girl. Everybody would look at me and say, I'm crazy because a third grader is not on my level. So there's some things God does not want to step in because Satan is not on his level. Whose level is he on? He's on our level. So we're the ones who have to fight him. So Jesus didn't say to Peter, I've blocked it. He said, I've prayed for you that your faith fail you not because you're going to have to fight this one out. But in the fight, I know your enemy wants your faith. So I'm praying for you that your faith fail you not. And the second thing I love about this verse is he doesn't say if you are converted or if you win or if you come out. He says when you come out. All I'm asking you is that you strengthen your brother. In other words, in God's mind, in Jesus' mind, it's a foregone conclusion that we're going to win. The only thing he really cares about us is with our win, we help somebody else. So once again, fight. F, I'm going to keep my faith. I, I'm going to up my intensity. G, I'm going to guard myself. H, I'm going to help others. T, I'm going to trust in God. At the end of the day, I'm trusting in God. In that trusting, it's going to build my tenacity because my trust is in God. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Because at the end of my fight, my trust is going to be in God. Here's a point. I need to bring up, we keep fighting because we know the battle is already won. That's the bottom line. Look, I'm teaching better than y'all letting on. Or maybe y'all running around the house and doing flips and cartwheels. Maybe y'all feel what I feel. But at the end of the day, the battle is already won. So all we got to do is maintain. So don't lose your fight. Deliver simple, don't lose your fight. Don't lose your will to fight. I know the, the title said, don't lose your fight, but the focus for me is don't lose the will to fight because what happens is many times the trials can, they can pile on so quick and so fast, we get weak and we get tired. It was just like, I'm just tired of fighting. And let's be honest, sometimes you get tired of fighting, but there are certain things that you have to get up for the fight. You have to say, no. No, this, this ain't one of those ones. What I like about championship teams is when a team wins a championship, that next year everybody is giving them their best shot. And teams that repeat championships, they understand that everywhere we go, we're going to get the team's best shot. Every team that comes into our home, they're going to give us the best shot. And we're not going to be like, oh, man, shoot, we got to bring our A game every time. Champions understand this is what it costs to be a champion. So let them bring it on. We're going, we're going to rise to the challenge. I love talking about Michael Jordan because his mentality was, I'm not just playing for a championship. Every game is my championship. Every time I lace up and walk on the floors, 
I'm giving it my all because that's what a champion does. Rudy Tomjanovich, a coach, said it this way, never underestimate the heart of a champion. When you are a champion, you are wired differently, and you do things differently, and you rise to the occasion even when you are battle-weary and battle-tested and battle-worn. In other words, you are worn out, exhausted. There's something in you that rises up because you are a champion and you meet Satan's violence with a greater level of violence. Uh, I, I, I think that's enough for, for this. Let, well, let me put this up. I think this will be good. Ultimately, the enemy wants us to lose our reward and we refuse to do that. We're not going to let the, the enemy do that. And this is what Paul said. He said, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. A uh, whole lot I, I can say on that. One thing I wanted to point out, if you ever want to do a study, look at the crowns that the Bible says we will get. Do a study on, on the crowns. I believe there's five crowns. Uh, you can do a study on that. But in this one, the crown of righteousness, what I like about this is uh, I, I got about a minute. I'm going to see if I can I can do this in a minute. I'm going to go a little far to bring me back to this point. Well, let me bring the scripture side by side so I can point out what I mean. So in this scripture, it says the righteous judge shall give me at that day, talking about God, personally handing us a reward. So because I grew up in a legalistic era and I understand grace, I understand that more people, millions more people are going to make it into heaven than we first thought. It's not going to be as hard because all you have to do is believe. So the question is asked is, if the wino who drinks all his life, beats his wife, beats his kids, steals and robs from people, and then two weeks before he gets saved, I mean, two weeks before he dies, he gets saved, how is it that he gets heaven same way the person who tried to do it the right way forever and did all the fighting and made it in? Well, yes, God is going to allow people to come in, but everyone's rewards won't be the same. And everyone's, what I'm learning, everyone's proximity won't be the same. And this is the best way I can describe it. If you were to go to the concert of your favorite artist of all time and you got free seats and you could either have the seats in the nosebleed or you can have backstage passes where your favorite artist is going to sign things for you, take you backstage, take pictures with them, talk to them, eat with them, green room, all that stuff, front row concert. Come on, which one would you take? You wouldn't take the high price, I mean the high seats up there. If, it were, if they were both free, you would want the best seats in the house. And that scripture, I'm going to put it up. Once again, it says the righteous judge shall give me. Paul was saying, I've lived such a life that God himself is going to hand me my reward. There are people who are going to get to heaven, but they may not get real close to the father. The way I look at it is I want to live a life 
I want them backstage passes. I want to get as close as possible. There's some questions I got for God. There's some stuff I want to know. It's great that you make it into heaven, but the idea of just barely making it in and being okay with that, it's better than hell, yes. But I'm not wired like that. I want to be as close as I possibly can to the master. And so here's the thing. Satan wants us to lose our faith so we barely make it in. But no, I want the reward from my father. I want the reward from my master. I want to see him face to face. I want to see my savior face to face. I want to be able to be in the throne room. The Bible talks about the the 24 elders casting down their golden crowns around the throne room of God. I want to live in such a way I get as close as possible. So when I preach grace and I preach God is going to save a bunch of people and sweep a lot of people in the kingdom, I truly believe that, but everybody's not going to be rewarded the same. And it would not make sense for you to be under the ministry of deliverance temple and you end up in the high seats in heaven. You need to be as close as you possibly can. So fight, fight, because the rewards, not just on this side, but on that side are going to be entirely worth it. Amen and amen. All right, let's bow our heads. I'm not going to finish the fifth point that I had. You'll have to go and rewatch Sunday's sermon. Go and check it out. That way you can see how I laid it out on Sunday. I enjoyed preaching it on Sundays and teaching it on Wednesdays. They both are amazing to me because I feel like I'm growing so much as I'm sharing. But I'll hold back on just one so that you guys can look at it later. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, praise you, we honor you, God. First of all, we count it worthy to be able to fight in your army, to be able to fight for the kingdom. We thank you that Satan looks at us as such a threat. He's willing to throw everything in the kitchen sink at us. And we also thank you that it just won't work. No weapon formed against us shall be able to prosper. You never told us that the weapon wouldn't be formed, but you promised us that it would not prosper or it would not work. And that is what we are standing on. And we will keep our faith. We won't lose our focus and we won't lose our fight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, let's let's do uh, one more prayer. Let's pray for salvation. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we pray for salvation for anyone watching, salvation for our loved ones. We pray that they would take that first step of faith, that leap of faith, and that they would accept you into their heart. God, I pray for anyone that is listening and watching, that they will make sure that their relationship with you is solid and that you would deposit your spirit in their, into their heart. You would wash them with your blood and you would accept them into the family of God. And God, I pray that they would want to grow into disciples so they could get as close to you as possible to receive their personal reward. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I love you. This is Andre Mitchell Ministries. I'm signing off. Appreciate you very much. Hey, we will win in the end.